From creation to the flood to the patriarchs to Egypt, join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through Genesis, the backstory to the beginning. I guess that's enough for that. We are in the book of Genesis, Genesis 19. We're just going to talk a little bit about Lot. When we left Lot, um, if you'll remember, uh, the stranger came to Lot uh, and pulled Lot, basically pulled Lot out of this land of Zoar, uh, and then they destroyed the city. And I just want to pick up this story there because there's one little part of this um, that is just really interesting. Maybe we'll start at verse 16, okay? So this is Genesis 19, verse 16. Uh, when he hesitated, this is Lot. So Lot is in his house, uh, the men are around him, and, and he doesn't want to leave. The men, the two angels, grasped Lot's hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters, and he led them safely out of the city. For the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives, don't look back, and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee in the mountains, or you'll be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes. And you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life, but I can't flee to the mountains. I think it's because he's maybe a little bit too old. He can't flee. Uh, this disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here's a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it, that my life will be spared. We'll continue on. Uh, he said to him, the angel, there, very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of. But flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. And that is why the town is called Zoar. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities, and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. So, um, Abraham, Abraham leaves by these men. They say, go up into the mountain. Abraham says, I can't get into the mountain. It's too high for me. Uh, I can only go as fast as I can go. And But here's a city right here. Just don't destroy that city. Let me be in that city. And they said, fine, go to that city. We won't destroy that city. But don't look back. Um, so, Lot is able to make it to the city of Zoar. Um, they destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, and then Lot's wife looks back and she is overtaken. She's turned into a pillar of salt. Um, now this is just really, really interesting. Uh, why would they turn her into a pillar of salt for looking back? And, you know, you, you could say, well, they turned her into a pillar of salt because she looked back. Or you could say, that she hesitated, you know, Lot and his two daughters didn't hesitate, they continued on, but she stopped, she turned around, she looked at the city, and she happened to be in the wrong spot at the wrong time, and it was a pillar of salt. But for whatever reason, she looked back, and that's what destroyed her. And um, I guess I wanted to just spend a little bit of time, since we are in this pandemic, using this as kind of a, an analogy or a metaphor for what it's going to be like when we get out of this thing. Because there are a lot of businesses, there's lots of operations, there's lots of people trying to figure out what is it going to be like when we move. I kind of talked about this a little bit last week, but people who, you know, look at human beings and civilizations, 
have noticed that we always move forward and sometimes we make leaps forward and we make leaps forward because of two things. One is that there's a, two, a new technology that kind of propels us forward. And the other is there's something in the world that happens that causes us to use that new technology in a new way and to really take, really take the world a leap forward. Uh, the last <laughs> major time this happened was probably in the Great Reformation. If you'll remember, the Gutenberg Press uh, preceded the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation in Europe by about 50 years, right? Gutenberg invented the press. And the press was being used, but it was really um, not used that much. People didn't have a need for books, right? Uh, they had lived all their life without having books. Um, so the vast majority of people were illiterate, right? Because there were no books to read. So the vast majority of people are illiterate um, at the time. Um, and so why would you learn? You could live perfectly fine without literacy. But the, the Gutenberg Press uh, allowed books to be available all the time. And then you started to see people saying, well, if books are available all the time, then let's, let's learn to read. And so you had this whole generation after the Gutenberg Press of people learning how to read. Well, 50 years later, now you have a whole bunch of people that are now literate uh, and you have the printing press. And now that sparked the Reformation. And I know that Martin Luther was at the head of it uh, and he's given a lot of credit for the Reformation because of uh, fighting Rome and the Roman Empire and the, and the Roman Catholic Church. But it was, it was inevitable. He's the guy we pin on. But it really was a whole confluence of things that created the Reformation. Because once you had books and literate people, you know, books that weren't too expensive and literate people, now you have things to anchor onto. Uh, you can create facts and you can put the facts in the book. And people can look at the facts and say, yeah, that is a true fact. And we're not even going to make books unless they have facts. And it created a whole reformation. It, it created a renaissance of activity that brought us out of the dark ages into the age that we're in now. That is all because of Gutenberg's press, the you know literacy and the courage of Luther to, to stand up to one of the largest institution in the world. Um, now we are in a different reformation and the different reformation is we now live in the digital era we live in an era my first computer my first desktop computer i had on my desk in our house in phoenix in 1987 or 88 um before that you didn't have a desktop computer nobody had computers you had calculators right but you didn't have computers um, you certainly didn't have access to the internet. That happened about 10 years later. So now you get desktop computers, you get access to the internet, and now you have a generation of people that have never known life without computers and access to the internet. And I'm always amazed, you know, I think uh, that something that's put on a web page uh, is probably true or correct because somebody took the time and put it on a web page, right? It's on Wikipedia, so I know it's true. 
and I know in the deep of my head that it's that it may be not true, but um, but the digital natives, the people that have grown up with the internet, they can just tell what's true and what's not true, um, it, because they're native into this generation. They whatever it is, they they have like this this newfound ability to find information and locate information that uh, is harder for me. They're just they're just natives in this thing, and they've grown up in a world. Uh, you know, we've grown up in a world with books. Um, they've grown up in a world with everything at their fingertips. Uh, and, and this whole, this whole pandemic has forced all of us to be digital natives. And they have been waiting for us being the older generation to get on board with the fact that this is a great new technology that can be used for all sorts of good. And obviously it can be used for bad too, but it, it's a technology that, that's just going to revolutionize everything, everything in the world. Um, and we haven't even begun to see what that revolution is going to look like. We are now at the moment, the precipice where this is going to happen. And I believe that we need to look forward, right? Whatever it was that was behind us in business, in uh, schooling, uh, in education, in food delivery, um, you know, in uh, growing in our faith, uh, everything that we knew beforehand is going to change. And it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful change. I believe that, remember, it all goes back to Genesis 1, where Jesus said, or, well, Jesus, because he was there at creation, where God said to Adam, uh, be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. So we've been doing that since the beginning of time. And subduing the earth is what we're created for. God created this wonderful earth for us to learn and understand. Um, if you'd have told somebody 200 years ago that you could get from LA to New York in two hours or three hours, um, they would have they would have put you in an insane asylum. But the fact is today we can do that. You know, with the Concord, we could do it. You know, we've been able to do it for 50 years. Uh, it, it, the world has just, it is amazing how the world is progressing. And, and I believe that it will continue to progress and we'll continue to find out things that we didn't know before. And the future is not bleak at all. The future is wonderful. The future is fantastic. What holds back the future from being fantastic is when institutions hold on to the past and never look to the future. Because you have to really, really, really understand every institution, like let's take a school. Like what's the purpose of a school? It's like, well, to give kids an education. Well, why do kids need an education? Well, kids need to have an education to navigate life, right? Because life, is, uh, life has to be navigated. Um, but you know, the stuff that we teach in school today, uh, is basically information and facts, right? And I think digital natives, they've got all the, f they don't need facts. They've had the facts from the moment they were born. What digital natives need is the ability to access those facts in a necessary, in the way that it's necessary. But how are we going to use that facts? How are we going to process this, those facts? How are we going to join together in teamwork 
uh, to use the gifts that I have, like some people are apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some shepherds, some teachers. How are we all going to gather together in teams and forward things with the facts that we have available so that we can, we can continue subduing the earth so that I can live my life um, and, and navigate the world around me? Um, and, you know, so obviously the things that we're teaching in school um, are, are going to change. I mean, I, that's just the, the simple way to say it. Uh, and if you don't change, if you stop and you look back and say, I miss the old way, um, you're going to get you're going to get turned into a pillar of salt, <laughs> metaphorically speaking. All right. But but schools, uh, probably the biggest institution to change. Uh, businesses have already, you know, businesses have to change because they're driven by market economics and somebody's going to change and the rest of it is going to see that that was a great change they're going to move forward but large large institutions like schooling here in the united states um which is heavily funded by all of us they have a slow time to change and um so they're going to be on the slow path to this i'm sorry um but i will tell you this uh there are revolutionary people that will see that uh, the change is inevitable and the future is wonderful and we gotta be prepared for the future and we've gotta educate our kids for the future. We've gotta teach them what they need to know um, and, uh, and provide, provide, provide the safe space for them to be uh, educated for the purpose of navigating their future, right? A future of which is unknown. Now, I've known about this. Uh, the, the thing that really uh, kind of hit me was I'm teaching confirmation at our church uh, and telling the kids about Luther's small catechism and all that. But the questions they're asking um, are not questions that are necessarily covered in Luther's small catechism. They are much deeper, powerful questions that... I can't even understand because I'm not digital natives, right? But they are. Um, and so it made me think, you know, instead of teaching them facts and information, what I need to teach them is how to prepare themselves as a Christian to navigate this new future that God has prepared for them uh, so that their faith increases over time and they don't start to decrease their faith over time. I mean, those are the things that are really, really, really going to help them navigate their future. Um, and the big questions that they have, obviously, are the questions that everybody's had. Is there a God? And the, the sad or I, the truth is God will never, ever reveal that there is a God or that there isn't a God. He always has to leave room for faith. Um, he always has to have the shield just a little bit where you can't know, that it always takes faith to know, to believe that there is a God. And um, so there is no, uh, it's like right on the line, right? You can either say, yeah, there is a God or there's absolutely no God. He always leaves it like right on the line. But once you, once you realize that there is a God, then you can start opening up your mind to the possibilities that there's objective truth and there is objective beauty and there's objective 
ways that we should live in the world because God created it for us to live in. Um, and then you start going down that path and you start building your faith. Um, and it all comes down to, it all comes down to whether or not God exists. I mean, that is just the fundamental foundation of everything. If you believe that God exists, then you start to see the world as if it's a God-created, God-blessed, God-loved, God-beautified world. And if you don't believe in God, then you start to see the world in ways that I believe will ultimately harm you because there is no, the, the truth about God at its root form is that God created the world for us to enjoy and to love and, to, and that there's objective, there's objective stuff that are found in his, in his word and his truth and creation, you know, the natural law and creation and all that sort of thing. If, if there is no God, then every other institution that you're going to hold on to to say this is truth eventually will fail you. Um, I don't care what it is, but every institution outside of God will fail you. And when that failure happens, uh, it can be devastating, which is why belief in God is so wonderful because God never fails you. The, the, I, the, uh, the things that he's created that we can hold on to, the truths that we can that we can hold on to, will not fail you, because God never fails. And if you cling to God, um, that means that your whole your whole existence moving forward has something to cling to that will never fail you. And that's why the first commandment is love God. Right? Have God as the center, sub the hub of the spoke of things in your life, and God will never fail you. Uh, now, churches may fail, right? I mean, relationships may fail. And when I say churches, I'm talking about insti you know, the institutional ch churches or gatherings together, the church of Jesus, you know, the church of God that he created, which is the continuation from the Old Testament. But all of his beloved people, that, that won't fail. But institutions outside of, of God will always fail. Everything always fails because we live in a sinful, broken world. Um, so anyway... Uh, I guess all that is to say is look forward, right? Whatever we come out of this pandemic, it's going to change. And that change is going to be hard for a lot of people uh, because there'll be new ways of doing things that are difficult. We don't understand. We can't comprehend it. We have to learn new stuff. The comfortable of the old is just going to be very difficult. But if you can embrace the new things that may come out of this in every aspect of our life, um, I believe that the world in the future will be much, 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 much better. And, uh, and we will subdue some things that we don't understand today. I think most of them that we should subdue are things that deal with how we can create in our life um, relationships and people and love that fill us with joy every day, right? How can we, how can we wake up in the morning and go outside and see the sunrise, be filled with God's love, know of the people uh, that we have close to us that love us, that care for us, that understand us exactly how we are? How are we going to grow in our faith that day? How are we going to live our life pleasing to God? 
Um, how are we going to serve, be the hands and feet of God around us? And whatever technology or whatever is available, that command is still there. And uh, it is a beautiful command and it is a beautiful life. And I don't care who you are, this world is beautiful and the future is bright. And I know there's a lot of, the last point I'll make is this. When we had the Gutenberg Press and then you had the Reformation, you had what's called the Thirty Years' War in Europe, and it was devastating. It ripped things apart like crazy. Um, we are now in the midst, I believe, of another war or battle. And you may think it's because of certain things, but at its root, I believe that all the stuff that's going around, along uh, right now is because we are changing to a new world and the old world and the new world will always conflict and so there's going to be a period of time of conflict um, but we will get through it and once we do there will be a period of renaissance unlike i think we've ever seen ever and that human beings will live lives that are that are absolutely amazingly filled with joy and love and happiness and fruitfulness and peace and love um and i i believe the future like for my grandchilds my two grandchildren uh dakota and izzy i think i think their future is just going to be fantastic um, for a whole bunch of reasons but mostly because god is still in charge he's on the throne so that's a little bit waxing poetic today um Thanks for joining me. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, uh, thank you for the world that you've created. Thank you for the future that I know that you are in charge of that is not bleak, but filled with you. Uh, and I pray, Lord, that you watch over all of us until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.